this morning I'm starting a new series uh, talking about the church. If we go back to this year, we started a new series uh, for 2021. Our theme is simply this, the truth sets us free. If we know what the word of God has to say and we begin living it out, we're not under bondage to this world. We don't have to be caught up with fear, anxiety, and uh, uh, sinful habits. We have freedom. We have liberty in this life. What a, a wonderful blessing. And so we began talking about truth, not just truth for our mind, but truth in our daily life that we can live it out. And we began talking about who our God is, the real God, and uh, spent uh, several weeks talking about different characteristics, the attributes of God. Who is this God that we serve? And last week was Easter, and we celebrated the death, burial, and resurrection. How wonderful it is to know that Jesus died for us and that he didn't stay dead. He came back to life, and we can come to him, our Savior, and pray to him, ask for the forgiveness of sins, have eternal life, have purpose and meaning in this life. And uh, so today we're going to start a new series, uh, a new doctrinal area on the church. So I don't know if you've ever studied what the Bible says about the church. You've probably attended uh, church over the years, and uh, you've thought, so we're gonna go to church. But really, what does the Bible mean when we talk about the church. Well, let me pray. And uh, if you're online, I want to pray for you as well that God would uh, speak to us uh, through the message. Dear Father, I pray for each person that is present here that we would have a better comprehension of uh, your church. And I pray for those that are online, those that are struggling in some area. May you just overwhelm them with your love. May they understand uh, that you have a great plan for their life, and I pray that they would enter into that plan. I pray for kids that have grown up in this church, if they don't have the certainty of eternal life, that they would get that settled in their life. They would truly understand that you have a plan for them and that you want to forgive their sins. Lord, may we have that settled as we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Not long ago, I was in a meeting with some Christian leaders, and uh, someone in the group said something negative about one of the larger churches in our area. And uh, I, I thought, you know, that's not going to unify our group uh, to be negative and criticizing other churches. I don't think that's a good testimony. God wants us to be a team. And so I shared with them that I don't think that's what we need to be doing as a group. We don't want to be critical of other churches, not that I felt I was better than that person, not that uh, I uh, had any affiliation with the church that they'd even criticized. They weren't part of, uh, of uh, the, the group that I uh, tend to connect more with and stuff, and it had nothing to do with that, but it was simply this, that I don't believe we should be critical of evangelical churches. A church that's preaching the gospel you may not agree with everything that they do, and I guarantee if you hang out here long enough, you won't agree with everything that goes on around here because I don't agree with everything that goes around here. Everything goes on in my house or things that I make in my own life, I don't even agree with, right? Uh, and so churches are not perfect, but I do wanna say this. Jesus loves the church. So I'm starting a series today talking about loving what Jesus loves. Jesus said he loves the church. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. It says, husbands love your wives. And in Ephesians 5, he is talking about human relationships, but he says, I, I want you to have human relationships the way heavenly relationships work. And here's what he says. Husbands love your wife just as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. Jesus loves the church, so much so that he died for the church. He gave himself for the church. Jesus loves the church. Sometimes Christians will say things like this. Well, I love Jesus, I just don't care much for the church. Maybe you had been hurt in church, or maybe you've seen a lot of flaws, or you see hypocrisy in the church. We've probably all seen those kind of things. So I love Jesus, I don't love the church. Really, when we look at it, the church is called his bride. He loves the church. It would be like saying, hey, to some guy, I really love you, man, we're best friends, I just can't stand your wife. How well do you think that would go over? Probably not that good, huh? So if, if you have a problem with my wife, you probably have a problem with me too. That's not a real good situation. I've learned over the years, don't criticize someone else's wife. And if they criticize their wife, don't agree with them because there's gonna come a point that they're eventually going to you know, make it up more than likely. And they're, you're the one that criticized my, I just agreed with what you said. You know, what are you talking about? You don't wanna criticize someone else's wife, right? Well, if the bride of Christ is the church, then let's not not be critical of the church. Now, the church is not perfect. We see that Jesus loves the church, but in verse 26, he says this, that he, talking about Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So Jesus has a role to clean up the church. It's his job to wash the church, to sanctify the church, to clean up the church, which means that the church is flawed. If Jesus is still working on the church, it means there's problems with the church. But Jesus still loves the church, and he's working on it. He cares for the church so much so, in verse 27 says that he might present her to himself a glorious church. One day, the church is going to be washed white as snow. The wrinkles are gonna be pressed out. We're gonna go into this heavenly marriage and we are going to marry, the church is going to marry Jesus. He loves the church and there's gonna be this extended marriage supper of the lamb, this celebration that God is going to have for his son and his bride. That's gonna happen one day. He loves the church. It is this glorious church. We still have some spot and wrinkles, but he's gonna clean us up and we're not gonna have those spot and wrinkles or any such thing one day because he wants us to be holy and without blemish. But we're not there today. You know what, there's Christians that gossip. There are Christians that are racist. There are Christians that are divisive. There are some that are holier than thou, think they're better than someone else. There are Christians that have all kind of problems and if you want to confirm that, do me a favor, go home this afternoon and just look in the mirror. And you're gonna realize, you know what? Yeah, we are all flawed beings, right? None of us are perfect. And you know what makes up the church? Christians that are flawed people. So there's never gonna be a perfect church, but I want you to see that Jesus still loves this church. I'm grateful that we had the Windeross, the Rhodes, and the StarTech family, we had three families uh, join our church this morning in the first service, and we're so excited about that, and we're continuing uh, to... Uh, uh, and talk to some, uh, some new families about uh, membership and you know, get connected to a small group and finding ministries and stuff as well. Over the next couple months, we're doing that. We, we focus on every member of minister and we're wanting people to get involved and get connected. And I love the church. I had a great upbringing, a great experience in the church. Let me tell you my history, and some of you may have heard this before, but in the uh, early 1950s in Texas, there was this evangelist that he went around in these tents, and it was, they called them old-fashioned tent revivals, and they would go around and just invite people in the community, and they would preach the gospel, and people would get saved, and this guy named Walter Phelps got saved. 
He and his wife, Carol, moved from Texas to Northern Virginia, and they started Bible Baptist Church in the mid-1950s. My family moved from North Carolina uh, up to Virginia, and there came a point that my family started looking for a church to get involved, and, and me and my siblings were young, so uh, they wanted to get us in, in church. And uh, my mom and some of her girlfriends started find, looking for a church, and they found Bible Baptist Church. And so I was just an infant at that point and started going to church. And so my mom got saved, my brother got saved, my sister got saved, my dad got saved, I got saved. Our family's life was transformed. They um, became uh, teachers in the children's ministry. They uh, were involved in evangelism, sharing their faith, supporting the ministry, just got real involved. Their lives were radically changed. I mean, they uh, turned over a new leaf, started doing some things uh, quite differently, and that was the upbringing that I had. And uh, our church wasn't perfect. Sometimes the church would grow and then people would get mad and leave and go to another church or whatever. There were people that had all kinds of problems, you know, as we were talking about. If you've been in church any length of time, there's problems in churches because we all have problems because every one of us can be selfish at times, right? I mean, that's uh, uh, the reality. But I had a great experience. And my sixth grade teacher, Artie Mock, was also my seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade teacher. Now, he was just a construction worker, a boiler maker, just a, a regular guy, but he loved Jesus and he loved me. And he was very influential in my life. Outside of, of uh, my parents and uh, the upbringing that they had and my pastor, Preacher Phelps, uh, preaching every Sunday and me going, we actually didn't just go Sunday. We went to Sunday school, we went Sunday morning, we came back Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anybody have that in your background? You know, we went to church and then we had extra meetings and revival meetings and all kinds of things. I mean, we were at church a lot, you know. And so uh, when I started the church, I said, I don't know if I wanna go to, I love the church, I just don't wanna be there every day, okay? So I do like a, little bit of time at home and stuff, but we made some of those changes over the years, but we were in church all the time, and I had a great experience in the church. I mean, it really changed my life. I learned to read my Bible as a teenager. I learned what the Bible said about my salvation and how I could know that I'm saved and what the Bible says about future events coming, and I would try to read my Bible. I loved it, and there came a day I didn't just go to church I got involved in ministry. I read my Bible, I faithfully went to church. I heard the pastor and people saying, yeah, we need people to get involved and serve. And I always thought, why don't those people get involved? Now I knew God didn't have a plan for my life. You know, I knew I didn't have any abilities. I, they were talking to everybody else. But there came a day I realized Jesus was talking to me as well. God had a plan for my life. And it so radically changed my life, we have a little statement around here we call every member a minister. I think it is so key for our spiritual growth that every Christian should be involved in some type of ministry. We should get involved, not just in reading our Bible or going to church, but also being the church and living it out. So every member a minister, a few weeks ago, Gary Wood, who deals with our evangelism ministry, was talking about, you know, we'd love to have more people in the coffee bar and the welcome ministry and helping out as people come in, that we show ourselves friendly, that we help build relationships, uh, that we are connected to ministering to those that have needs in our community, that we send out missionaries around the world, that we help people to share their faith and invite people to church. All those things we talked about evangelism. Next week, 
we're going to talk about our exaltation ministry and Lars is gonna share about how we can be a worshiping church and how we can get connected in those areas. And uh, Garrett, why don't you go ahead and come up. Garrett is our education E-team leader. He just took that over and uh, he has a few words he wants to share. All right, I'll make this brief. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Joel chapter two. That's where we'll be. I'm just kidding, that's a joke. Oh, thanks, God. Yeah, no, it's a bad joke. Yeah, I got more laughs out of it in the first service, so yeah, thanks. Uh, well, my name's Garrett. For those of you who I have not had a chance to, to meet, um, I'm excited to be a part of the education ministry. Chris Plant was in here in the first service. I had a chance to thank him. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to interact with the Plant family, I would encourage you to do that. Um, he's an incredible person incredible family. They've been a blessing to us since I moved here. Um, I know he's gotten to know my parents very well uh, as well. And so we've transitioned over the course of the last few weeks, and he's done a great job just informing me of what the education ministry is about. And I'm excited for a lot of reasons to be involved in education. I'll share a couple today. So um, one of the main reasons that I'm excited about education, so there's, there's a verse in Second Peter, uh, and Peter says, add, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And so for me, I've always been uh, just a thinker, and so I enjoy the, the deep riches and, and the deepness of Christ, and so I, I desire that for other people as well. And so from uh, a nursery to adult small groups, really you see the expansiveness of the education ministry, and I'm just excited to get involved and to see people grow in their relationship with Christ. And we'll talk a little bit about the kids' wing uh, in just a second. But I wanted to share a quick story as to how my life was impacted by the kids wing. So growing up in Pampa, Texas, so if you're watching on Facebook, anybody from Pampa, I don't know why you would be, but uh, if you are, then shout out to Pampa. It's a great place. If you've never, if you've been to Texas and you've been to some of the metropolitan areas and you're missing out, you really need to make a trip to the Panhandle and go to Pampa, Texas. You'll be pleasantly surprised with what you find, which is a whole lot of nothing. Um, but I think you'll enjoy it. So growing up in Pampa, Texas, First Baptist Church, and I can remember the countless number of people that poured into my life as I was a child. Um, Francine Owens, Brenda Kondo, Miss Vincent. I mean, I could, I could go on and on just naming them. And it really helped to mold and shape me into the person that I am today. And growing up, I, I, I felt so ashamed in, in an area because I didn't have the same testimony that, that other people have. I didn't have the rags to riches testimony where, you know, I was far off and Christ brought me back. I was saved at an early age. And what, what Christ began to teach me was that his, his preservation can be present in both instances. And so there, there's no shame in the testimony. Someone else's may be different, but mine is unique to my story. And so I began to embrace the fact that throughout the course of my life, really he has preserved me and kept me from so much throughout my life. And my belief is that it started in the children's ministry early on being poured into by other people. And I remember one Sunday, it was the first Sunday after we had moved to Pampa, Texas, and my best friend, Jonathan Plasic, uh, I got dropped off in the children's ministry and his parents were the ones teaching. And we were sewing together paper fish. So the teaching was on Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000. And if you can imagine two pieces of paper that look like fish and they had holes punched in the outside of it and we were sewing it together with yarn. And so I walk in and I sit down and his parents look at him and they say, hey, Jonathan, this is Garrett. Will you share your fish with him? And with the meanest scowl on his face, he said, I'm not sharing. And so that sparked a friendship for the rest of our life. We became best friends. And even to this day, we're best friends. So 
the impact of a children's ministry is pretty incredible, and so that's another reason why I'm excited to be involved. So the Impact Kids Wing, you've got nursery, you've got preschool, you've got elementary, really three areas where uh, you can pour in to people at, at different ages. The Impact Kids Wing really has three pillars, so I wanted to share those with you guys briefly today. So if you've been down in the Impact Kids Wing, you'll see three plaques on the wall. Love God, know truth, and live it out. And so that's really what the children's wing stands on. And the first being to love God. We want to teach children uh, the fundamentals about who God is and to develop a relationship between them and God and have them fall deeply in love with God. How many parents in here desire for your kids to fall in love with God? Yeah, I'm, I'm about to have a child of my own. Uh, in the next few weeks, and one of my one of my prayers for my child is that they would fall in love, that she would fall in love with Christ and serve Him with her life. And so, that's the first desire of us is that is that your your children would would grow to love God, and then after that, that they would know truth. We live in a day and age. I, I was very different whenever I grew up, and it's going to be very different ten years from now. But our children today have to be founded in truth. And Jesus said in John 17, He said. Father, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so our desire is that this book would be the foundation on which your children stand, that they would know truth and that the truth would then set them free. And so whether it's in a school system or whether it's in a friend group, whatever the case may be, where there tends to be a lot of ambiguity in our day and age, our desire is that they would know truth above all else. And then Outside of knowing truth, they, would just, they wouldn't just sit on that truth, but they would begin to live that truth out in their daily life and begin to impact the friends that they're around, impact their schools, impact the community, uh, that they would live out the biblical principles that they've learned here. And so those are the three principles that we really hold near and dear to our heart in the kids' wing. Love God, know truth, and live it out. And so if your desire is to serve and you have uh, a desire to serve in, in the children's ministry specifically, then come see me after the service and, uh, and we can chat a little more about that. The other, <coughs> excuse me, the other areas of involvement in the education ministry are the, the teen ministry and Pastor Dean and Christia were in here in the first service and they do a fantastic job. So if you have teens, once a month they have a teen service and so they depart and we celebrate them as they leave. Uh, they've done a fantastic job with that ministry. And then adult small groups. And so as we're in this pause right now in small groups, I would just challenge you, if you haven't led before and you're interested, you feel God calling you to lead a small group, step out and lead a small group in this upcoming semester starting at the end of May. Or maybe you just didn't participate in a small group and God's really calling you to just get involved and participate. And I would encourage you to do that as well. And then for us as we get involved, so for those who choose to serve in the education ministry, really my desire, and I was sharing this with, with Chad the other day, I heard an old adage a while back uh, and this guy said, if you want to teach someone, or if you, want, if you want someone to build a boat, then don't teach them how to build the boat, but give them a longing for the sea, and then they will build the boat. And so that, that's my desire. Like, I, I don't want to badger you with needs. There certainly are needs, but really our desire is that you would be stirred and you would desire to get involved in young children's lives and impact them at a very early age. And as a team, our desire is that we would submit to love knowing that God is love, so we would submit to love and then serve in love. So submitting to love and then serving in love. And everything that we do, we want to do it in love. And so that's my desire for the education ministry. Again, I'm excited, I'm ecstatic to be able to get involved uh, and work alongside with some of you. So come see me after the service if you're interested in serving. I'll turn it back over to you. Are you going to be in Joel?
Uh, not Joe. Okay. But Jonathan's your best friend? Yes. I thought I was your best friend, but all right. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Now, well, thank you. Let, let me just pray for our education ministry and you and uh, about a desire to do that as well as uh, Garrett and Brittany. And let me just thank Garrett's parents uh, for raising him in church that uh, he could take a, a lead around. That's what it is, right? Uh, taking the gospel to the next generation, just making disciples. So uh, let's pray that we would be the church that would do that. Dear Father, you have called us to make disciples. I pray for the children that have been born and will be born in this church that we would raise them. God, I pray for families that are outside of this church that we would demonstrate love, whether it's online or in our nearby community. May they understand your word, and I pray that we would be a catalyst there. Lord, I pray that you would guide our teens, in this world of transition, I pray that we would focus on truth, that we would live it out. And uh, Lord, help them to be a light. Give them passion for you and give them uh, purpose and, and meaning in their life. Help them to live that out, dear God. I pray for our young adults through our senior adult. Guide our next study. I pray for teachers. I pray for students. Whether we are meeting live or online, God, I pray that we would focus on truth and that the truth would set us free. Guide uh, Garrett as he leads and I pray for the ministry leaders that are working with him. And God, I pray you'd speak to the hearts of people that are in this room, that we would take the precious word of God, that people like Jonathan's parents are already mocked, Lord, that we would influence this generation and the next generation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the next few minutes, I would like to do an overview of the whole Bible, okay? So we've got about 10 minutes. I'm going to give you an overview of the whole Bible, all right? Let's start at the beginning. God created the world. Do you remember that story? God created the world. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. They lost what they had. They disobeyed God, and mankind was separated from God. But God had a plan. This is the whole Old Testament. If you want to read through the Old Testament, here, here's what it is in just summary. God chose a nation. It was the nation of Israel. Abraham, the father of the Jews in Genesis 12, was called to bless all the nations of the earth. But they didn't do a very good job. God told them not to have idols. Guess what? They had idols. He told them how to treat others. They didn't treat people properly. He told them to honor the Sabbath. They continued working on that Saturday. They failed God, and God said, all right, I'm gonna have to teach you a lesson. They went into captivity, and a few, uh, 70 years later, they came out of captivity, and they, they were not a great nation, but they still were God's chosen people. For 400 years, God did not speak. There was no new revelation until we get to the book of Matthew. That's the whole Old Testament. Matthew is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And Jesus comes on the scene, and right before him, a guy named John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3, we see what John the Baptist was talking about, Matthew 3.1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, notice the next phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is offering the nation of Israel this kingdom. Jesus 
has a plan for this people. He's trying to restore them. The king has come. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. He preaches repent for the kingdom is at hand. Uh, Throughout the first 15 chapters, we see that Jesus is offering this kingdom to the nation of Israel, but over and over again, they reject the king and they reject the kingdom. So much so that Jesus takes the nation of Israel and temporarily sets them over on a shelf. They are still God's people. But he brings in a plan that he didn't quite reveal in the Old Testament. It's called a mystery. And in Matthew chapter 16, after 15 chapters of the Jews rejecting the Messiah, Jesus is walking with his apostles. And notice Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? You know, that's the important question. It doesn't matter what your mom and dad say about Jesus. It doesn't matter what what your pastor has to say, but what do you believe about Jesus? That's what's key. Has there been a point in your life that you have trusted Christ, that you know he is the Messiah, that Jesus died for you? Who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, that's a pretty good answer. So Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's a pretty good truth is what Jesus is saying. You figured it out. You understand who I am. And upon this truth, Peter, notice what he says. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter is not the rock, he is just a little stone. Jesus is the rock. This truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that's the truth. I will build my church. First time the word church is used in the Bible here. The idea of church. We saw in Ephesians that Jesus loves the church. Jesus sets aside this Old Testament covenant for a period of time, the nation of Israel, And he said, I gave him a chance for 15 chapters, but now things are changing. I am instituting something else, and it's called my church. The word church is interesting. The the Europeans would use the word for a church building. It was the idea of a kirk. And it just simply means belonging to the Lord. They would take the church building and say, you know, this is the kirk. Well, when... The Bible was translated into English. They took the word ecclesia, and I'll explain that in a second, but they use the word church building here. Now, let me say this is not the church, this building. This is, we call it a sanctuary sometime, but it's not a sanctified building. It's just a building. It's just made out of, of uh, uh, brick and mortar and wood and tiles, right? It's just a building. This is not the church. When I was growing up, uh, you know, if I was running down the hallway of of, uh, the Sunday school classroom, they would say, Timmy, don't run in the church or take your hat off in the church or those kind of things, but talking about the building. But the building is not the church. The word ecclesia is not talking about a building. You might have even said, hey, get ready, we're going to church this morning. But it's not the building. Ecclesia, when Jesus said, my church, he was talking about an assembly. He wasn't referring to a building, but he was referring to the people. And Jesus said, I am going to build my church or ecclesia. Ek 
means out of. Kalio or kalia, that, that uh, word there means to be called, to be called out. Here's how that word was used. Jesus didn't invent the word ecclesia. It was used during Bible days. It was used, there was a, a king and he would send his messengers into a city. The messenger would go and tell all the, the uh, business professionals and stuff, come out of the city, uh, you know, close the shop down for a little bit. Hear ye, hear ye, the king has something to say. And the messenger would tell the people what the king wanted said. And so the people would be called out of their buildings into that, from the community into this assembly. And as they gathered together, there was a political assembly or there was a government facility or a business uh, assembly. Those kind of ideas, they were coming together. And Jesus said, but I didn't come to create a political or a business institution. I came to create a spiritual ecclesia. This is my church. You see, the church is us as we gather together. As we come together to connect That's what the church is. It is the people that have gathered together. And Jesus said, I love my church. Where two or three are gathered together, I will be in the midst of them. That's the meaning and the usage of this word that we are called out to gather together to do a special work. And he considers this church so important. Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. Up to this point, the Jews thought Jesus was going to have this great kingdom, that he was gonna have this massive kingdom, and Jesus was gonna be the leader, and they were gonna be the underleaders of it. And Jesus really blows their mind at this point, and he says, I'm going to die. What do you mean you're gonna die? I thought you were gonna be a king that's reigning. He's like, no, I'm not gonna build a physical kingdom. That's what I'm gonna do with the nation of Israel later. Today, it is a spiritual kingdom where Jesus is ruling in your heart and Jesus dies for the church. He purchased the church. He loves the church. And the church continues to live out this work of the kingdom. God is not using the nation of Israel right now, though they're still God's chosen people. They've been set aside, and he brought something in called the church. This church that Jesus loves, the word ecclesia is used around 115 times in the Bible. And almost every time, it's talking about a local congregation. The church is where we gather. It's our assembly. It's where we meet. God wants us to be connected to a church. If we say, well, I love Jesus. I want to read my Bible at home. I can pray at home. You can do all those things. That's correct. But you can't be connected to the church unless you assemble together. God calls us to assemble together. My experience, Garrett's experience, and and probably many of you, you have this experience because we gather together, we learn the scriptures, we worship God, we have the one and others where we build relationships, we get connected, we serve other people, we invite people in in our community to share the gospel with other people. That's what we do. Jesus says it this way as we continue through the rest of Matthew and the rest of the New Testament, it all deals with these local congregations. And I believe it is vital for every Christian, not just to watch church, not just to occasionally attend church, to be fully connected. We call ourselves the choice family because we believe church is very important. 
Jesus dies. The disciples are scared to death that they're going to be the next. But when Jesus resurrects, he meets with his disciples. And this is how the book of Matthew ends. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And here's what he said. He said, go therefore and make disciples. That's what our calling is to make disciples individually and here as a church. Make a disciple of all the nations. The word nation is just every ethnic people group there is. It's not an American church, it's not a white church, it's not a black church, it's not a Korean church. Every ethnic group, every single person, every generation, we need to get this message out. All nations, get people saved. It's the most important thing. It's what we talked about last week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you have that settled in your life? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Not by going to church, but by your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting what he did when he died for us. Has there been that point you called upon his name? If you've done that, then the first step of obedience, he goes on, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you probably had your parents sprinkle you or have water poured on you at a young age. You say, okay, I was baptized at that point. It's something your parents did. But has there been that point in your life after you've accepted Jesus that you have been immersed in the waters as your personal and public demonstration of your baptism? Going down into the water, picturing his death, burial, and then coming up out the resurrection. Baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, how do we become those disciples? It says, teaching them to observe. That we begin living this out in our life. Three things that he told this church to do. I want you to get people saved. As you're going, preach the gospel. Then I want you to baptize them. The word just simply means to immerse all the way to be dunked under the water. If you have a different background, you say, oh, what is that dunking tank you know, that you have there? I'm like, oh, well, I go all the way under the water, but that's what the word means. And then to learn the scriptures, teaching it, but observing it as well, living it out as Garrett was talking. That's what we wanna do in our Impact Kids Wing as well. Are you learning the scriptures? Are you teaching? your family, the scriptures? What about your children? Do, do they know they're saved? What about your grandchildren? Do they know that they're saved? What about people you go to school with or work with or have uh, sports teams with? People, your next door neighbor, people in your community, do they know they're saved? Live it out in our daily life. We are doing the work of the kingdom. That's what God calls us to do. So if you've never been saved, call upon him today. If you've been saved, you've never been baptized, why don't you make that decision? That step of obedience is just a public and personal demonstration of what Jesus did for us as we surrender to him. I wanna follow Jesus. And then make sure you're connected faithfully to church. If you're watching online, make sure that you're consistent. Get connected to a small group. If you're here, you have interest in teaching, a small group. If you're not connected, get involved and, and uh, do that. If you're a teen here, make sure that you're here next week for our, our, our teen group. Join them on Wednesday nights for their groups as well. Make sure that we are teaching them to observe that in our life. Has there been that point in your life? 
that you trusted Jesus. Just bow your heads for a moment as we wrap things up. You have that settled in your life? Just think one day, unless Jesus comes back, we're going to breathe our last breath. At that moment, our soul will spend eternity somewhere. Call upon Jesus, ask him to be your savior. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you've not done that, make that decision. Trust the death, burial, and resurrection. By faith, call upon his name. If you've trusted him, you've never followed in baptism, make that decision. I'm ready. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you, Jesus. Make that decision. You'll follow him in baptism. That public declaration. And what about learning the Bible? Yes, your personal time with him, but also corporately where we learn together, we teach together. That we observe it, that we are the light to this community around us, that we are living it in our homes, our community, on the job, in public and private. Dear God, help us in the Choice family to be busy making disciples, following you, obeying your command. God, your truth sets us free. Help us to provide liberty to many in our community. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name.